This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Before we start today's podcast, a quick heads up on Sherlock's VIP club. From restaurants, bars and hotels to beauty, wellness and shopping, Sherlock's partners with some of London's best destinations and hottest brands to bring its VIPs exclusive monthly offers. So why not sign up? It'll cost you just £5 a month or £50 for the year. Use your card once or twice and you'll have made that amount back in no time. For more information, visit sherlocksvip.com. In 1989, Philippa Lepley launched her bridal couture label from a small atelier in South Kensington. A year later, she opened her first store, from where she established herself as London's go-to couturier for luxurious bespoke dresses. Clients, including Alice Naylor Leland, travel from all over the world for fittings with Philippa as she brings to life iconic, timeless, feminine dresses. With a career spanning over three decades and a reputation unparalleled in the bridal wear industry, Philippa, welcome to your Sherlock success story. Thank you for having me. Very exciting. Well, I'm very excited. I'm sitting here. I always say this, but I'm sitting here surrounded by wedding dresses. I mean, it really is just a dream set up. So yeah, nice place to be spending the afternoon. Yeah, no, it's fabulous. Tell me, growing up, were you always making clothes? I was obsessed with sewing. I begged for sewing machines every Christmas. Every Christmas I got a better one and I just would make anything from anything. So mum would throw away some old curtains, I would make culottes from them, whatever. So I just wanted to sew, make, that's all I ever wanted to do. Did she sew? How My did mother you couldn't sew at all. I had two brilliant grandmothers who were both fantastic sewers and they would teach me, you know, on little hand machines, singer machines, treadle machines, you name it. One of my grannies was a court dressmaker at Harvey Nichols. So she would make me little couture dresses and capes and things, really beautiful things. But I had three brothers. So mum made me into a bit of a tomboy. I wasn't allowed to have long hair. I had to have short hair. So it was hard for me to be very girly. But I loved sewing. And, and my grandmother just looked after me and taught me as much as possible. God, how fabulous. Yes. And was it bridal wear that you were interested in then? Not no. at all. Just anything to do with sewing and making. I love knitting, you name it. Making cards, drawing, decorating my bedroom, escaping my brothers, you know, making I'd anything. Be, I'd yeah. be disappointed if you hadn't said that, but how brilliant that you did. So you left school at the age of... I stayed at school to do my A-levels, but wasn't happy. So left to go to art college. Absolutely loved that. Two years foundation course in Nottinghamshire. Loved that. At the same time, I would have flea market stalls selling clothes. So I'd go to jumble sales, buy lots of old vintage things, do them up, wash them, iron them, change them, and then go off in my Morris Minor to Nottingham flea markets and and sell them at, you know, I made some money on them. What was this sort of everyday clothes? Um, oldish things, just nice things that I thought were quite stylish and you could make them look good if you washed them and ironed them and, and just put them on a hanger and hung them on a, in a flea market. And were you so, embellishing them? Uh, not really at that stage, I don't think so, but just making them look better. Okay, so you did that, mm-hmm. that, that was at Nottingham, yeah, and then Nottingham. following Nottingham? So when I finished at art college, I came to the London College of Fashion, 
And in fact, I tried to go and do embroidery at Manchester, but I didn't get in. I think I was so nervous at the interview because I loved embroidery. I did night classes all the time. Embroidery makes my heart sing. So I didn't get into the embroidery. And my, my second choice was to go to LCF, London College of Fashion, to do fashion design. And I came down to London, obviously wasn't nervous at the interview and I got in. And so I stayed there for two years and I wasn't out and about. I was always working in my bedroom, making things. And I'd have fashion shows when I went home at the local squash club. And I'm a person who just always makes and wants to make money. So tell me, fashion shows at home at your local... Yeah, Squash club. Yes. So I did a sportswear collection while I was at fashion college in the evenings in the corridor of the hall of residence in Tooting. I would make evening wear. So I'd lay it all out in the corridors, cut it all out. And all my friends were out and about and I'd be making all this sportswear and then selling it in this fashion show I had at home. Amazing. So, Amazing. Yeah. so you were saying you always were someone who wanted to make money. Yeah, I always wanted to make money. I always wanted to make things and be independent. Yeah. LCF was great. I probably wasn't that trendy. I wanted to do a bridal collection for my final collection. And but, why? Where um, had the idea for that come from? Again, my love of embroidery and detail. Just OC detail. Love detail. Love embroidery. And were you um, looking at the bridal market at that point going, oh, there's nothing like I want to do? Not at all. No. I was so unsavvy. It was just my love of feminine, fine, detailed work. But they wouldn't let me do it in my bridal collection anyway. I wasn't allowed to do it, which was quite right. I mean, I wouldn't have had a clue. <laughs> Absolutely. It would be awful. So I ended up making this beautiful collection of brown and white printed tea dresses, which was really lovely, quite sort of Ralph Lauren at the time with little lace collars and again a fabric I'd found for a pound a metre in Nottingham or something and made this lovely tea dress collection. So it was quite sensible not to let me do bridal wear. see the collection. It was lovely actually. It was lovely. No, actually. So you did the collection, you finished? Finished LCF. While I was there, I went on work experience for the Emanuel's which was lovely. It was the time when they'd already done Princess Diana's dress. And I remember trying on a toile that they were making a jacket for her. So I was only there two or three weeks. That was a massive insight yeah. in Brook Street. And how did you and get that internship? Uh, through college, I think. And then I also went to work for this other designer called Annalisa Sharp. And I interned for her. And she had a shop in Princedale Road in Holland Park and did bridal wear. She was very well known at the time. She was sort of very debutante, sort of. She did the Barclay dress show, all of that. Mm-hmm. But she was great character and she introduced me to a lot. So I did a work experience. And then when I'd finished college, she offered me a job. So I went to work for her for a year and lived nearby Notting Hill and Wepham. And I thought to myself, well, if she can do this, I'm sure I can. So she was great. She was absolutely very talented. So I literally left her within a year. And during that time, I was always making things at home for other people, ball gowns and bits and bobs, ties, you name it, I would make it. Ball and gowns and bits and bobs. <laughs> I mean, but a ball gown is not a bit and bob, well, is it? But making it very badly. Really? You know, no, because yeah, I didn't really know much, you know. But yeah, that's what I did at home all the time, just always making. So I thought, like, well, you know, I had so much business coming in, I'll set up on my own. So I left Annalisa and set up on my own. And Annalisa, was that work experience? Were you I being paid? I was being paid for a year. I was literally running her shop. It was a tiny little shop and it was very quiet. So it was just me in her shop when she wasn't there. So you decided you'd go on your own. How mm-hmm. old were you at this stage? Probably 20, 21. Yeah, something like that. Wow. So you were going to go on your own. Yeah. And were you going to focus on bridal wear at this point? Point. Not at all. I had met a lady who had a dress agency in Hammersmith. She offered me a tiny room in Hammersmith and the rent was a dress a month. A dress agency mm. is what? Back in the day, people would hire evening dresses. So she had this big room full of lots of evening dresses that people would hire. So I would make her more dresses for the rent. Wow. Um, and then I just suddenly became so busy, just word of mouth. And, and in fact, within two weeks of being on my own, I had to employ someone. And she's still one of my best friends to this day, actually, Sienna. And the word of mouth thing, I mean, that's mm. the dream, isn't it? Mm. Is it because you had someone quite influential? 
influential? Is it just the quality of your dresses? Was there a person that you think was quite instrumental in that word of mouth getting out? No, I just think it was friends. But I wasn't making bridal wear at that time. It was just evening stuff and day wear and just sort of grew. And then the odd person asked me to do a wedding dress. And I was absolutely petrified. It seemed like a really big dress to do. And I started, I did the first dress and then it became two and three. And then I made my biggest financial move. I moved from this little tiny room in Hammersmith, which was completely outgrown basement. To, I rented a flat in Kensington in Harrington Gardens. And that was a big move for me because it was a lot of money at the time. So a friend found it for me and I moved into there. It was fantastic. It was very, very nice. So I could invite clients there. And from there, I would see lots of clients. And, I, and there I did my first collection. And I did do a bridal wear collection. And I sent out invitations. I was so naive. And I just worked till 12 o'clock every night and lived there as well. And then I think the first collection, we had people like Liberty's came and Harrods came and lots of little Knightsbridge boutiques and magazines and newspapers. And it, it was bonkers. And I don't know why they came, but they did. And mm. are you doing a collection to tie in with a spring, summer or an autumn, winter, a season? And is everyone else doing collections at the same time? What did the sort of... Then, look like then. then I didn't have a clue. I you just, were just doing I your just own did thing. a little bridal collection, a little evening wear collection. And Harrods came and bought straight away. Liberty's came and bought straight away. I did mad things like heart shaped trains. It was a little bit gimmicky. And I just did things that I loved. And I did lots of colour, which was very different at the time. So there's magazines like You and Your Wedding and obviously Brides. And we'd be on the cover. And it, I was just the new thing on the block. And you made all these dresses yes. with how many people helping? Probably about two or three at that point in my flat coming every day. So a cutter and a seamstress. And you know, in the beginning, you can't afford very much at all and you don't know much yourself but you need to learn and know how to do everything yourself so you yes. can instruct people so I knew I wasn't very good I was never that technical but I know what I like and I know what looks good and I know what I want the design is the easy bit so it's just slowly grew yeah. and so are you saying that for you your strengths are sitting down and drawing the dress visualising the dress but then you're quite keen to sort of hand it over to somebody yeah I wouldn't be allowed to do any sewing now no, <laughs> definitely Ethan would not let I'm me I'm sure they'd allow you to insist I don't think so I don't think Ethan would no, I'm just going to do a quick scribble and my pattern's going to interpret that very, very well. So mm. when you were preparing for this collection that yes. Harrods bought from, yes. there were sort of three of you. So you were involved in the actual creation of the dresses. How long would it take to create one dress? I mean, they weren't very sophisticated then. They were quite simple. Maybe three days? One three dress? Three yeah. And how many if dresses were in the collection? Do you remember? Probably about 25 altogether, 20. Amazing. So... so Harrods came, Liberty came. Yeah, and they bought. It's amazing. And how did you then fulfil the orders? Did you go into sort of mad panic of, right, we've got to... No, we just did it. And I think after that, yeah, I was there for a couple of years in Harrington Gardens and I decided to get a shop. I thought, well, if I can sell this many... I think they became very busy on the bridal front. I thought, if, if it's this busy here, I, I'll be better with a shop with more space. So in 1990, when I was 25, I took my first shop on the Fulham Road, the cheaper end of the Fulham Road. I'm now in the from expensive Broadway. end. Yeah, from yeah. Broadway. So I took a 20-year lease, not knowing what a lease was, not knowing anything, but I did it. I just signed on the line. I always thought I've got the power to work. I always thought I can do anything if I want to. That's so pretty like, ballsy, yeah, though, yeah. isn't it? 25, yeah. I'm going to take on a 20 year. Yeah, where do you it. think that ballsiness came from? I mean, you said you were motivated stupid, by money. You're obviously ambitious. Yeah. Did you sort of stop and think, wow, this is quite nerve wracking, but I'm going to go for it? Did you have a parent championing you? Like Parents, should... they did guarantee my overdraft. They were very sweet like that. Mm. But they weren't really around. They were busy doing their thing up north. I was very, you know, bit between my teeth, knew what I wanted, was wanted to be able to buy a nice jacket, you know, and wanted to be able to do what I wanted. So I would just work, work, work. And so you got the shop, that was a 20-year lease. Opened it myself on the first day. It was just me, no one else in the shop. And one lady came in and bought two dresses on the first day, which is fantastic, so I'll never forget that. And at that point, what proportion of the business was bridal wear? It was mostly bridal wear. That's, okay. yes, I was bridal there. Yeah. Did you open the shop and you had all these wedding dress yeah. samples, as I'm seeing now, yeah. ready to go, hanging? Yes. And so did you have a mentor? <laughs> did you have anyone advising you? 
really, to be honest. No, I didn't really know any brilliant business people. I had friends and boyfriends and to be honest, no. I mean, I'd watched Annalisa and I admired her greatly. As I said, I didn't even know what Elise was. I just signed it. it, was, it was you just did it. Yeah. And were there competitors at the time? Who around mm. you were you kind of watching? Well, there was Annalisa. There was people like Catherine Rayner. There was Alison Blake. There was, of course, amazing Katarine Walker, who was up here, who was my sort of hero. I thought she was fantastic. She was in the shop next door to where we are now. Yeah. I did love her work and she was dressing Princess Diana at the yeah, time. Yeah, gosh. She was brilliant. So she was probably not a mentor, but I did admire her a lot. Yeah. And did you think there was a gap in the market? So there was competition around. Were you consciously doing something different probably maybe you're right maybe I was because I liked a bit of colour I throw a little bit of dusky pink in here and there probably nobody else was doing it I think I was quite modern and fresh quite simple one story per dress that's perhaps what I was doing that other people weren't doing and using quite lovely fabrics and mm. for instance a lot of designers might have been still using silk dupion I probably wouldn't use that much I'd go on to the heavyweight beautiful Italian duchess satins so yeah we were very busy everybody came to Philip Leplian from Broadway yeah we had massive queues outside the door for the sale I even had one of those chaps all dressed in black for the sale to manage the crowds it was bonkers so this yeah. is selling all your samples yeah. so really? we had two sales a year and it was very very busy yeah God, I can imagine yeah how did you come with your pricing strategy it's difficult it, finger in the air this is or are you going back and you adding up all the I costs i can't say i would do costs? massive you know sort of spreadsheets and be really really because every dress is different i'm sort of just thinking well, what do you think this is worth and you know compared to the other ones and yeah i'm trying to get it right and you started off do you remember what the sort of average price was for a dress back i think in? they were about three thousand six hundred. that sits in my brain and yes. today but, well we moved up to the expensive end of the foot of road 11 years ago now <laughs> and, and everything changed when i came up here i could do more special things i mean I, as you know I've, I've got very expensive taste some from somewhere i don't know where but i love 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 detail so i can do more special things here the clientele is so much more international it's from all around the world. You never know who's going to pop up here. It's incredible. We have people coming from Canada, America, especially to have their dress made. I love that. So I can do more beautiful things. Mm. So here, it, it, the price is different. Going back to those early days in your first store, what were the challenges then? I mean, it sounds like you were just <sighs> head down, going for it. Nothing's going to get in my way and I'm going to kill it. And you obviously have done. But do you remember there being challenges then? It was always very hard work. I suppose in the beginning, because you don't know that much, you're learning so much and you want to do better and better dresses and you want your patterns to be better and your blocks to be better. But you don't really have that knowledge because you're so young. And getting really good people to work for you, firstly, because they cost a lot more. And secondly, because you're not really well known at the time. Mm. So getting your level higher and higher is hard. Mm. And that takes time, getting good staff, I think. And talk to us about the growth of the team. So you said it was just you on that first day. Yes. Who came next? Well, then I would get a pattern cutters and then another pattern cutter and then seamstresses. I had Dolores, I remember, who was a fabulous seamstress. And you know, you'd get a lovely team of seamstresses, cutters, people who were selling in the shop and fitters. You need all these different people. But you need multitasking people because you can't afford one of everything. Right. Um, so everybody has to have you know different hats put on and off. And where do you make the dresses today? We make them in Chelsea. We're so lucky. Do so you? when I left that shop, that's why, when I did a 20-year lease there, but we left there after 18 years to come here in Chelsea. But I kept that shop as the studio then. Since then, I've had various different studios around Fulham and Chelsea. But now we're really, really lucky and it's heaven for me. And I'm not running around between studio and shop in my little mini. between. Yeah. So here I can just run across the road. So it's very nearby. And the team can run backwards and forwards. So it all works really, really well. 
And how much was branding key part of the business in those early days? Is it something you're aware of? Where were you coming up with your logo? Your logos remain the same. Mm. You know, you have a very beautiful shop. Product aside, how important have all the other sort of touch points for the consumer been? I mean, you are leading the way in luxury bridal design. So all those things are really important, aren't they? Is it something you consciously thought about? I just do what I love. The signature has always been the same. I did that. And I like to be a bit different. I didn't want to take a font from the book. I wanted to have my own individual signature. And that's always been successful. I know this colour of the paintwork is in here is OW22, Off-White 22, which is... I'm sure you get on paint. It's very nice colour. It's lovely. And I had it in my house. I just know what I like. And I just let it follow me around. You go with your gut. Yeah, go with my gut. And I just teach my team. We're just all about the most beautiful service in the world. Everything is clouded with bells on, I say. Luxury, luxury, luxury. The best we can do. So the clients are so happy. We give as much time as we can. We see one client at a time. We see them for at least an hour and a half and just whatever's you know, necessary to make them really happy and enjoy the service. Quality, not quantity. That's what we're really about. Mm. And you talked about word of mouth. Mm. Clearly, in this industry, word of mouth has a huge part to play. But there must have been other marketing well, we used activities to... you've done along the way. Editorial has always been fantastic. You know, Word of mouth is probably our number one. Mm-hmm. These days, probably the website and the Instagram is fantastic. But I've been going for 32 years years so word of mouth is huge yeah but globally seo website is working very well which is fascinating and who do you have that runs that for you now i've got a little in-house team that we do stuff and then an outside team as well so we meet every three months and go through all the figures it all goes in my head but i, <laughs> I get involved yeah ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. And talk to me about the growth of the team. So it was just you when you opened. Yes. Um, who came next? And I mean, I imagine it's physical yeah. seamstresses yes. and people working in the shop. Mm. But in terms of the runnings of the business, how has that grown? Well, I've got a PA who does all the accounts and stuff. Let me go to the accountants every three months and do all of that. And I glaze over. But I have to, have to really make an effort and understand it. You do need to understand it all, don't you? And here we, we've got everything. Seamstresses, cutters, pattern cutters. I like to keep it under 20. There was a stage when I was bigger. I don't really like it. I'm such a detail freak and quality, not quantity. Small is beautiful. I don't want to grow too much. I wouldn't want another shop. I'm too detailed. It's ridiculous. For me, I really care about everybody's dress and how perfect it is. Without going too much into the detail of the mm. figures, is the wedding industry one in which you can make money? And, you know, if there are people listening who are thinking, you know, I'm thinking of going into the mm. wedding industry, mm. it can cost quite a lot of money to recruit a customer who's mm. hopefully going to be a one-off customer. Yeah. So well, that's the thing. There's no repeat business, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. You just yeah. got to hope that they go yeah. on to spread the word. Can it be a lucrative industry? 
I don't think I'd be still doing it if it wasn't okay. Yeah. And have you funded the business yourself? Totally. Yeah, lovely bank managers. Yeah, totally. It's been a sort of organic growth, you know, make one, sell it, make two. You know, that From the beginning, it was just yeah. an organic growth of, of building up stock. Yeah, totally funded myself. And was there a moment in your 32-year journey when you thought, wow, this is going somewhere and I'm making money and people are queuing up at our sample mm. sales and this is really exciting? Mm. I think when I decided to come here, so move up the road, I'd done a lot of houses up actually as well. And I decided, no, we're not going to keep moving the children. Let's move the shop so I could do more special things. So it was a big decision to move up here. So I kept the old shop. I did this one all up and moved in here. That was a big move, but I'm so glad I did it. It's really exciting. Yeah, I can do, do such beautiful things. Yeah, I love it. And how much are you driven by the trends and style and newness? Because you know, your designs are so classically beautiful. Are you looking around and where are you finding inspiration? I suppose I find a lot of inspiration from the bride who comes in, women's bodies and women, and just looking in the mirror. So if I'm working with brides, which I really, really enjoy, I love finding the right dress for someone. It still gives me that tingle moment. I can't say I'm doing it all the time because I've got millions of hats on. I'm inspired by body-defining corsetry and what we do to everybody's body with our corset. It's so defining what we've developed over the last 20 years. When people will put on one of our dresses and they'll just say, I just want my dress here. This corset is amazing. So I work from that yeah my designs are quite classic and simple again it's that thing of one story per dress I think bridal does move on every six months you've got to just tweak things and you know I might have a fantastic selling dress but I'll we'll sell the sample which we sell all the time we sell our samples and then I'll remake it with a little tweak half an inch here a little shorten the sleeve half an inch lower the neckline open the neckline or something so just move on I'm inspired by women yeah and do you make new collections every year all the time. So we're working on new dresses all the time. I try every single sample on and I work Do with my... Do you? Yes, you try yes, one on. I yes. love it. So yeah, I try on all the samples. We make new dresses all the time, which I love. So I'm always designing. We do do two shoots a year. It tends to be in May and November. So we, we, we work massively towards that. But I'm constantly designing new really? dresses. I'm constantly seeing suppliers from Italy and France come and see me and choose new things and fall in love with things. Constantly doing new embroidery samples all the time, working with our embroiderers. New things coming all the time is that across the board in bridal wear that most designers will be producing two collections a year well i think most designers are different to me because they're wholesaling so we're okay. really just doing bespoke we are really different to most you know different designers i was going to come on to wholesaling mm. is that something that you've considered and decided against i'm not very good at putting a dress in a box mm. i think i just love more making sure it fits the person mm. and doing it all really properly we do a tiny bit with Japan because they beg me. And we have a lot of inquiries <laughs> from America. It's a long way to fly over. <laughs> yes. And we have a lot of inquiries from America. But I don't know. I think I'm just cut out for doing really bespoke dresses. So you mentioned bespoke, mm. but you've also mentioned these collections. Mm. I'm imagining there's bespoke, bespoke. Yes, and there's, then bespoke, there's bespoke, bespoke, bespoke. Collections. Yeah. So what you're saying is you create the collections, people come in, and then you fit the dress to fit them. So there's about 70 or 80 dresses in the collection. I think most people will create their own recipe. 70 to 80? Yes. So upstairs. Twice a year, 70 yes. to 80 dresses. Well, no, it's ongoing. Some dresses will stay in the collection and be tweaked. So that someone will come in, try lots of dresses, leave their preconceived ideas outside the mm-hmm. door and be very open. And we will create a perfect recipe for them. So I don't think we ever make two dresses that are the same. So okay. just tweaking the designs for them. They're totally bespoke. 
And then can somebody come in and say, I've just flown over from China and I want you to make something totally individual to me that you're not going to make for anyone else? Completely. So I will sit down and design a dress for them. My favourite job. Yeah. So I'll, I'll probably spend about two hours trying on dresses with them. Okay. All the little bits are absolutely right for them. The right colour, the right shape, the right neckline and tw- piece it all together and design a dress individually. And then ideally, you know, they're going to spend a couple of weeks here and we'll do lots of fitting together here and then they'll go away and they'll come back again. So we have a lot of international brides flying in and out like that. Talk to me about personalization. Personalization has been really successful for so many businesses. Mm. And I'm sure in the bridal world, there's no better time to personalize yes. something. I mean, obviously you do the initials on the veil or something right. like that. But we've, for instance, we had a lovely Canadian bride recently who'd lost her favorite dog. And so she actually sent me paw print pictures of her favorite dog and we embroidered those onto her veil. So we do a lot of personalization on veils. We do a lot of hand embroidery on veils, which is lovely. You can say to me, my favorite flowers are Lily of the Valleys and Primroses. We can embroider those all over your dress. We do lots of that as well. And obviously, there's we'll put Granny's hanky in the pockets. If some brides want pockets, we'll make a pocket out of Granny's hanky, which is really nice. Let's talk a bit about the trends again. In your own sort of bubble, how blissful not to have to worry about the trends too much. But equally, the trends are changing. I mean, strapless was big a few years yes. ago. It wasn't, what, what, 10 years ago? Vera Wang was all very strapless. Yes. That's not here at all now. What are people asking for now? Lace seems to be not as popular. Right. For me, anyway. We're doing a lot of cleaner dresses. But it's such a mixture. I mean, weddings are so much more diverse, aren't they? And there's loads of weddings with two or three days. But I think people still, I mean, people come to me for what I call a real wedding dress generally. So it's going to be a big dramatic affair and they want the corset. And we're often doing different layers that we can take off. So you can change the dress. You might have a base clean layer and then you can have a big overlay of lace all over or embroidery all over and then take that off and then just have a little jacket that goes on top or a little button back top. So being able to take bits off, add bits on for the evening or the day or whatever. Because you do get a bit attached to your wedding dress, I think, don't you? So it's nice not to take the main dress off and add layers on or take layers Yes, yeah, it seems good. a bit of a waste yeah. to do that, doesn't it? Yeah. In fact, I'm huge into veils. I absolutely love finishing the whole look with a veil. Did, oh, you, so did you wear a veil? Oh, yes, That's, I did. Yeah. And I wore it over my face yes. and I walked down the aisle. Blush over your face. Brilliant. And, and oh, oh yeah. it was just, yeah, I loved it. It was yeah. magic. Yeah, so talk to me about veils. I'm looking at a, is that a Shanti lace veil? through there I mean just stunning talk to me about veils and also what your favourite thing is if you were going to get married again what would you be wearing well I think probably a bit old to it so it probably wouldn't be the big dream wedding dress but I love embroidery I love beautiful fabrics just hand embroidery just look at the work it's just beautiful you're talking about those veils they're all you know handmade French silk tulle veils and the veiling that we buy from France is all woven on vintage looms so often I'll get a call from our tulle supplier saying the worms are on strike we haven't got enough silk worms (laughs) or the looms are all broken or whatever but it's quite you know a problem and often it comes on big rolls of fabric it's very expensive and it has holes in and we have to work around it but it's beautiful it's very fun it looks handmade and are people going for veils yes definitely Yes, and if you mm. were twenty-five years old now and mm. you were going to walk down the aisle mm. in one of your dresses mm. right now, what kind of style would you pick? Definitely a today? huge skirt. Yeah, probably embroidered all over, depending yeah. on the grandness of the wedding. Yeah, probably an open neckline, I think, just to show a bit of décolleté. Yeah, uh, maybe three-quarter length sleeves, just very timeless classic shape, but big. And you know, the bigger the skirt, the smaller your waist looks, and just obviously a cinched in corset. And mm. you've talked about this corset quite mm. a lot. Mm. Is this your signature? Is this what makes you stand out from everybody else? I think it is. It really defines your body. We can mould. We can change. If you've got a very long waist and you don't want to show that, we can up your waist. We can do so much with your body and really define your shape. I mean, I think it's helpful for most people. While we're on this topic, we're going to come on to the business Mm. a little bit more. But what advice? 
advice do you give brides when they walk in? If people are listening who are soon to be shopping for a dress, hoping to be shopping for a dress soon, what would you tell I'd them? say just listen to your gut. Preconceived ideas outside the door. Mm. Don't go to too many shops. I've seen so many confused brides. Just look in the mirror, enjoy it. Maybe don't bring too many people in the beginning. <laughs> just you know, It's even good on your own to start with and then maybe bring your mother or a best friend or whatever. It can be difficult. And just be you and don't turn up looking completely different with your hair like no one else has ever seen yes. you. And, and just don't overdo it. Don't have necklaces, earrings, because it's going to be so much going on with your flowers and all of that. Yeah, yeah. And hold your flowers down. Yes, hold your flowers down. No one knows that. Hold their flowers up to their chin. I tell them all. That's a really. I haven't heard anybody else know that. That's brilliant. Yes, because you want to see your waist. Yes. Yeah. You know everything. Very good. Business wise, what's the hardest part of what you do? I mean, clearly you're so passionate about it, and still thirty years on. Yes, I am. What's been the hardest thing? Do you think? Probably the hardest thing is, you know, all that legally stuff, leases, employing people and spending lots of time, having enough time to, you know, to really work with your team really closely. Salaries, I always find difficult to work out how much to pay people, you know, because everybody, everybody always wants more money. That side of it, really. And do you struggle with the conflict between the creative and the business? Yes, I spend a lot more time on the business and emails. I mean, since emails have been invented, you just spend your life on your laptop, sucks, don't you? Sucks up the and day, it's 24-7, isn't, it? isn't it, your own business? Mm. It never goes mm. away. There's some advantages and you're free and flexible, but it's always in your head. Yeah. And what's your favourite part? I think definitely designing, definitely working with my brilliant team, closely and creating amazing things. And I love working with brides. I love seeing a bride and working out the best dress for her. I really do. You do you always try and get them to send you a picture of them in their dress afterwards? Yes, yes, we do. And they generally do, yeah. That's been very, mm. very satisfying. We love seeing the pictures afterwards, yeah. And talk to me about your proudest career moments. You must have some moments that stand out. So did you make Alice Naylor Leyland's dress? Yes, she had a lovely lace dress with a little draped waist. She was probably one of the first brides who had the high neckline, which was lovely. Yes, I remember yeah. a picture yes. of her in her dress. She looked gorgeous. It was very elegant, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, very elegant. Yeah. Uh, anyone else you can share with us today? I know you did Jerry Halliwell. Mm. Very cool. Yeah, I loved doing that. She had a lace dress as well, and she looked fantastic. It was very demure. And then we've just recently done the lovely Victoria McGrath in the fro. Oh, so yes. we made her a couple of dresses. One for the day, a beautiful crepe, very elegant, simple dress uh, with a beautiful hand-embroidered veil with all her favourite Provencal flowers because the wedding was in Provence. And then we did her a beautiful, very blingy, diamondy dress with her initials almost tattooed on the back. You know, she has a few tattoos, so it actually went with the dress, on all embroidered in the diamonds with the V and the A for the Victorian Alex. So, yeah, no, we, we loved looking Amazing. after her. She was great fun. So two dresses becoming a bit of a trend. And would you quite often do a short one for the evening, yes, something a bit more party? Yes. or even for the next day, they're having a lunch the next day. Or I do often encourage brides to keep their dress on, you know, for the day and the night, because I think it's such a shame to take it all off. Yes. Um, you spend all that yes. money and then you don't wear well, it Well, also, you feel quite attached to your wedding dress so I'm yeah. um, you know often we do we might do something for the day before or the day after so very nice yeah and would you always advise brides to hang on to their dress or would you suggest that they sell them oh no definitely keep it yeah I try it on every year yeah yeah the problem is when you have them all packed up it's difficult when they're all sort of acid free and this and the other but yeah so are you added to your job would you say yeah, I'm wedded to my job. It's 24-7. When you're not working and you're not thinking about weddings, how are you winding I am down? gardening and cooking. I love just peace on my own with my little dog in the countryside, walking, running, exercising. But I love homemaking. Love it. Love baking. I'm working my way through sweet, Ottolenghi sweet, oh, making delicious. cakes, which is a bit naughty, but it's good. And in 32 years, how are you still passionate about what you do, which you clearly are? Don't know. Just happens. Just absolutely love it. I think it's my team and what we do. Yeah. I think, I think it co- stems from, you know, just 
beautiful wedding dresses and just what we do is just so fab and I try them on I think god did we really make this it's so perfect and the embroidery is just out of this world it just works how can I possibly give it up I've been working forever I don't know any different really and you think you'll do it forever I think I might yeah <laughs> yes I've got two daughters who knows who knows what they might do who knows? do you hope that they might come into the business are they sure. showing signs of wanting yeah, to come Bibi's very into fashion um, I don't know she's not creative she's more academic but Rouge is very creative she'd probably end up doing fashion at college so yeah do you hope that they'll be entrepreneurial in some way seems they might be who knows I just want of course every mother just wants them to be happy don't yeah. you I feel like it hasn't been easy so perhaps they might have an easier journey than I did <laughs> yeah and finally for anyone listening that wants to get into the bribe world would you advise it as a route to take yes it's a, it is a very demanding job it's a big job brides are you know hugely demanding but it's very rewarding in the end yeah I can imagine yeah well, Philippa, thank you. How lovely to talk to you. Second time round, I know where I'm coming from my dress. Aww, so, yeah. you know, watch the space. <laughs> anyway, that's it for thank this week. You. If you enjoyed that, then do please rate, review, subscribe and tell your friends. And we will be back soon. Bye-bye. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.